Thank you so much for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, The Stressless Life. If you're joining us for the first time, let me be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Now go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. I tell you what, online church is all right when you're sick or when you're traveling, but that just ain't nothing like being in the house of the Lord. Amen? I'm just telling you, uh, church is not an event you watch, man. It's a family to which you belong, and when the manifest presence of God moves among his people, it is just special. Amen? Amen. Came across a statistic, the American Psychological Association did a study. I want to show it to you. According to the American Psychological Association annual stress report, who knew they did that, right? The single biggest source of stress in 2021 was personal finances. That's interesting. In light of all that we walked through in 2021, according to their survey, the single biggest source of personal stress was personal finances. And, and that stat is even more loaded when you understand that this is true in the most prosperous nation on planet Earth. I mean, think about that. We have more in our country than any other country on planet Earth, and yet still, according to the American Psychological Association, the single biggest source of stress in America was personal finances. It's taking its toll on marriage. Another report tells us, that same report tells us that the leading cause of divorce in America is financial problems. And this doesn't just affect mom and dad. I'm going to read you another quote that I found in an article called How Financial Stress is Impacting Young People's Mental Health. According to the Deloitte Millennial Survey, many young people feel high levels of stress and money is near the top of their worry list. The survey found that 41% of millennials and 46% of Gen Z, that's almost half of millennials and Gen Z, responded that, that they were stressed all or most of the time, and about two-thirds of each group listed their financial future as a significant source of that worry. We have uh, the two coming up generations in our country, and both of them are obsessed and consumed and stressed out with the worries surrounding their financial future. Shouldn't surprise us when we hear these kind of stats. Let me give you one more. More than half of Americans spend more than they earn. Why don't you let that sink in for just a minute? More than half of all Americans spend more they earn, more than they earn, according to a joint research project by the Association of Young Americans and the AARP. Close to half of them have nothing saved for retirement. And 70% of Americans that consider their level of debt to be problematic are right to be worried, right? 
I mean, we're stressed when it comes to this idea of money and finances and how we handle those things. Now, if you're a guest with us this weekend at Hope Church, we are right in the middle of a seven or eight week study where we are unpacking this idea that we can experience the unshakable presence, the unshakable peace of God uh, in the midst of the circumstances of life. We've called this series The Stressless Life. And we're trying to understand principles from God's word, how you and I can exchange the stress of life for enjoying the peace that God promised us. We began by asking a question in week number one, what is stress? And I gave you a definition. I want to remind you of it as we dig back in this weekend. Here's what we said stress is. Stress is fearful concern experienced when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. It's those situations in life when I see a circumstance, I see a situation, and it seems bigger than my ability to meet that situation. When we respond to that with fearful concern, that's what stress really is. We begin to worry. We begin to be obsessed. We begin to be consumed with how we're going to meet that need, how we're going to meet that challenge in our life. That's where stress comes from. Now, we talked about the difference between fearful concern and genuine concern. Fearful concern is when I see that problem and rather than turning to the Lord, I turn to myself and ask the question, what am I going to do? But it is okay to be genuinely concerned. Genuine concern is when I see the same situation and rather than looking at myself, I run to the Lord and in dependence on him, I cast that burden at his feet. And when I do that, he exchanges that stress for his peace, his peace. So the big question that I want to address this weekend is why are we so stressed about money? If you read that original stat, that first one that I quoted, three out of every four people. That means if you look up and down your row tonight, three out of every four people are stressed about money or finances or their personal resources. And if we're ever going to take the steps necessary to eliminate stress when it comes to money, we must first get honest about how we got here. And the reality is that following Jesus and struggling with how to handle money is not a new thing in 2022. It's just not a new problem in this century. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the days of the Bible, the Bible in many places speaks about this very issue. One of them we find in the book of 1 Timothy. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at some verses here in just a moment. But Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a leader in one of the churches that Paul had planted in the first century. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's, he's addressing this very issue, and he's warning Jesus' followers to be careful when it comes to money and material possessions. And as we read this text of Scripture, we're going to discover some of the reasons we're so stressed about money today. Now, we're going to look at these verses, and we're going to kind of walk through them as a walking narrative. And I want to show you three or four reasons why I think the Bible tells us that we're so stressed about money. Now, as we look at these, not all of these will apply to every one of us in the room. There may be some that apply to our lives and others that do not apply to our lives. But what I want us to understand as we read through this together is, is the Bible is not a club to beat us over the head with. James chapter 1 tells us about the Bible that the Bible is like a mirror. So my aim this weekend is not to take the Bible and in the area of personal finances try to beat you over the head with it. My aim is to hold up the mirror of the Word of God. 
Now, what do you find when you look in a mirror? Most of us, we go through a process every day. We get up, we take showers, we shave, we get dressed. We try to get things looking the way we want them to look. But before we head out the door, we take one final glance into the mirror, right? We look there because we're making sure there's nothing out of bounds or out of place or out of order. And if it is, if, we, if the mirror does show us something that's not the way we intended it to be, then we try to take the steps necessary to fix that as best we can, right? So what the Bible does is the Bible reveals to us, as we look into the mirror of God's word, the Bible reveals to us areas of our life that are not conformed to God's divine standard. And as we see those things in our lives, we need to bring ourselves into conformity with Scripture. So four reasons as we look into the mirror of God's word why we stress about money. Here's the first one. We have a lack of contentment. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want you to look at verse number 6. Paul's writing and he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's a sentence that will set us all free. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it or out of the world either, right? That would be good for all of us to just wrap our hearts around today. We brought nothing into the world. Listen, your hearse is not going to pull a U-Haul trailer. We didn't bring anything into the world. We're not going to carry anything out of the world as far as material possessions go. He says in verse number 8, But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be, say it out loud, content. One of the reasons we stress so much about money is because we have a lack of contentment. The American culture has bought into an enormous lie. And here's the lie. Contentment is found in getting everything I want. That's the lie of the materialistic side of our culture. The reason our culture spends so much money, millions and millions and billions of dollars in marketing and advertising is convincing us that if you just get everything you want, then you will be content. The problem is we've confused wants and needs and become consumed with the idea that if we can just get to the next level up, we will finally be happy. Paul uses some words. He uses the word food and clothing. The word food is a Greek word that speaks to nourishment, and it describes all that is necessary to support or sustain physical life. Then he uses the word clothing. It's a word that, that speaks to, to material that protects. It's designed to take care. And it's describing all that's necessary to protect physical life. Paul says, man, if we've got what we need to sustain physical life by way of food and nourishment, and we've got what we need by way of clothing and shelter to protect that which is our lives, Paul says with that, we should be content. But we've confused wants and needs. Needs are that which make life possible. Wants are that which make life easier. And we've bought into the lie that if I could just get everything I want, then I'll be content. The problem is every time you get to that next level, guess what you see? Another level. 
And then you finally get to that level. And guess what you see? Oh, there's another level. And then I remember when I got my first job after I, I got married, and we, I got a full-time job as after we got married, and they gave me my salary, and I thought, my gosh, if we ever make $10,000 more than this, I don't know how we'll ever spend it all. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. The levels just keep going up of where we think we have to get to. Now, listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pursuing a good living. It is okay to pursue a good and wholesome living. But if you are not content with what you have, you will not be content when you get what you don't have. Let me say that again. If you are not content with what you have, you will not be content when you get what you don't have. Let me give us a little bit of perspective. I looked at a website today that helped helped us understand where we rank in personal wealth and income based on a global population. If you live in a household that has a household annual income of at least $50,000, I'm not talking about you as an individual, I'm talking about a household income of at least $50,000. That makes you more wealthy than 94% of the world's 7.8 billion people. What must it say to our Father in heaven? When we have more than 94% of the world's population and we're still not content. Greg Easterbrook wrote an article for Time Magazine a few years ago. Listen to what he said. This this just struck me. He said, if you made a graph of American life since the end of World War II, every line concerning money and the things that money can buy would soar upward. A statistical monument to materialism. Income per household has tripled. The size of the typical new house has more than doubled. A two-car garage was once a goal. Now we're nearly a three-car nation. Designer everything, personal electronics, and other items that didn't even exist a half century ago are now affordable. No matter how you chart the trends in earning and spending, everything is up, up, up. But if you made a chart of American happiness since World War II, the lines would be as flat as a marble tabletop. One of the reasons we stress over money is because we have a lack of contentment. And Paul's addressing that here. We must be content. So so here's the first question I want you to think about as you look in the mirror. Are you stressed about money because you have a lack of contentment? Well, but, 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 no, no. Is the stress in your life that surrounds personal finances because you have a lack of contentment? You're not satisfied with God's provision in your life. Here's the second reason. Another reason we stress in the area of money is because we have a love of money. It's not just a lack of contentment. It's a love or a lust for money. Let's go on in the text. Look at it. And we're just reading this line by line. Look at verse number 9. He says, but those who desire to be, say it out loud, rich. 
more than enough. That word desire, we don't have time to unpack it, but it's a strong word. Those who, who have this lust, this, this passion to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare. It's a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, you heard people say, man, the money's the root of all evil. No, 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 it's not money. Money is a neutral resource. It's the love of money. It's when my heart gets wrapped around this passion for more. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And he says, it is through this craving. You hear these words, craving, desire, love, that some have wandered away from the faith. And get this, pierced themselves with many, what's the next word? Pains. The word pains is a Greek word that means mental anguish, distress of the body and mind. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, it's when we get obsessed with this love, this lust, this desire for more that we bring mental stress and anguish into our lives. You see, if we're not careful, this consuming passion for more is like a cup with a hole in the bottom of it. I got two little grandkids, got a third one on the way. Praise the Lord. We're excited about that. Uh, and it's already out, so I'm not busting anybody's bubble. They've told us. Christian and Hannah have a number three. It'd be due, due around the end of June, 1st of July, and we're pumped. But when, um, when the grandkids come over to the house, our, our two little, little grandkids, they're four and two, they love to go outside and play around the pool. They love to get in the pool. And so Karis was over this summer or, or over Christmas break. I don't remember when it was. And we'd go outside and we'd sit by the pool. And she had this little cup that she loved to just dip down into the water and fill it up and she'd pick it up but it had a little hole in it and every time she'd dip down and fill it up she'd start playing in it but it's leaking out all the while and before you know it sure enough it's empty and she got to go back over there and fill it back and I watched her do that a hundred times man I mean she'd fill it up she'd play in it it'd leak out she'd go back fill it up. and as, as I was watching her do that I thought man that is so the picture of our pursuit of wealth. Man, we go get it, we go get it, we go get it, we fill it up, and before you know it, it's like that cup with a hole in the bottom. It just leaks out, and then we gotta go back over and over, and our life becomes this constant circle of chasing to fill the cup back up. It's a love of money. Here's a question. Are you stressed out because you have a love for money? Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You got a love for money? Here's a third reason we experience stress in the area of personal finances. We don't manage our money by God's design. Let's keep reading here in the text. Look at verse 11. Paul writes, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, that word flee there is not a suggestion. In the Greek language, it's an imperative, meaning it's a command, and it's a passionate word. It's the, it's the picture of in the Old Testament when, when, when the, 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 the man was running away, when Joseph was running away from Potiphar's wife, when she was grabbing him, and he was running away from the scene. He was fleeing. It means to, to run away from, to get out of there. He says, 
But as for you, man, flee these things. What things is he talking about? A lack of contentment and a love of money. He says as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to get away from those things. And then he says we're to pursue. It's another imperative. Here's what you're to do. You're to flee. And remember, when God says do something, he's not saying to to hurt yourself. He's saying to help yourself. He's telling us to flee a love of money and a lack of contentment and to pursue, what is this word? Righteousness. The word righteousness could be defined as God's divine standard. Here's what Paul is saying. Man, let's run away from a lack of contentment, a love of money, and let's pursue God's divine design. God has a design for how you and I are to manage our personal resources. Jump down to verse 17 in this text. Paul continues and he says, he gives us some of what that design looks like. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with everything. He said, here's the first thing you need to know about money and resources. It all is a gift from God. God is the one who entrusts us with it. God is the one who supplies us. Our job, our money, our income is not our source. God is our source. Those things are just a resource that God's entrusted us with. He goes on to say they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. It's that picture of generosity, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Just walking verse by verse through this text, Paul says, man, sometimes we're stressed out about money because we got a lack of contentment. Sometimes we're stressed out about money because we got a love of money. Sometimes we're stressed out about money because we've rejected God's divine design. And if that's you here tonight, there's two ways you get there. Some people are there because they simply have rebelled against God's design. Some of you are sitting here tonight. You know God has a design for how you're to manage your personal resources. You know that there are principles in Scripture that govern how we're to spend and save and give. And you've simply rejected that. Listen, you cannot reject the counsel and wisdom of God and enjoy the peace of God in life. When we walk outside of the boundaries and parameters of God, that's going to bring stress and heartache and and difficulty and challenge into our lives. But some are here because... You simply didn't know God had a design for how you manage resources. You you knew in this church, you've come to know Christ, and you've given your life to Jesus. You know you're going to heaven when you die. But this whole thing about how you manage money, you didn't know God even cared about that. But there's a lot in Scripture about how you and I are to manage. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So are you stressed out about money because you've been disobedient to God's design for money management? Now, if it's any one of these first three things... There's a simple first step. If you're stressed out over money because you got a lack of contentment, or you're stressed out over money because you have a love for money, or you're stressed out over money because you've rejected God's divine design for how to steward resources, there's a simple first step to stepping back into the peace of God. And here it is. It's not a popular word, but it's the right word. It's the word repent. To repent means to turn away from something And to turn back to God. Maybe there's some here tonight that in a few moments when we have a response time need to get in an altar and say, God, I confess to you a lack of contentment in my heart. Lord, I confess to you a love of money in my life. Or maybe, God, I confess to you that I've ignored 
or rebelled against your divine design for how to be a good steward of what you've entrusted to me. I've acted like it was mine, like I owned it, like I had the control and like it was up to me. And Lord, I've not even sought you in this area of my life. The point is, sometimes we're in situations about money that are stressful and the person to blame is yourself. If we'd simply get in submission to the word of God, we'd enjoy his peace. But because we're living outside of his boundaries, we're not experiencing God's peace in the midst of these circumstances. But there is a fourth reason that we experience stress and money, and it not, has nothing to do with our responsibility. Sometimes we are in the middle of circumstances beyond our control. Sometimes you've done everything right. You're content with what God's given you. You don't have a love of money. You are trying before the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit to steward the resources that he's given you. And you just find yourself with more month than there is money. Sometimes that happens. Remember the Old Testament story in 1 Kings chapter 17? Elijah was told by God to, to, to prophesy that there was coming a, a, dram, a, a drought and a famine and, and Elijah does that, and God tells Elijah, when you prophesy that there's going to be a drought and a famine, I want you to go out to the brook at Cherith, and I'm going to provide for you there by that brook. I'm going to have birds fly, and they're going to bring you food. I don't know what they delivered. I don't know if they brought In-N-Out Burger or how that worked out. But they're going to, birds are going to bring you food. That terrifies me just to think about that. I don't really like birds, but that's what God said. So Elijah did what God told him. He said there's going to be a drought, there's going to be a famine, and he went to the brook Cherith, and he's there at exactly where God told him to be, doing exactly what God told him to do, and guess what happened? The brook dried up. Elijah wasn't living in sin. Elijah had not stepped outside of God's boundary. He was doing exactly what God told him to do, and the brook dried up. Listen to me. Sometimes God allows the brook in our life to dry up because he wants to do something he couldn't do unless the brook dried up to bring him glory and expand his kingdom. When the brook dries up, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. There is a testimony of God's faithfulness that is coming. Maybe you're in a situation right now and there's some stress about money. It's circumstances beyond your control. Here's what I'm telling you. If you don't have a love of money and you're content with what God's given you and before God you're trying to do the best you can to steward his resources in a way that honors him and brings him glory, don't be discouraged. I'm telling you, God is faithful and he will come through. You are on the brink of a testimony. My wife and I experienced one of those in our first year of marriage. We decided when we got married, we were going to live these principles out that we'd been taught from God's word about stewardship and giving and, and managing the resources God had entrusted us, even though at that time they were very, very, very little. I was in college, and we got married, and three months into being married, we got pregnant. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to wait five years. God had another plan, and we got pregnant with our first child, and about three months into that, Christy began to have some irregular heartbeat. They put her on a heart monitor that she had to wear for 24 hours around the clock. They sent us the bill for that heart monitor, $672. Might as well have said a million dollars. Back then, I was making about $11,000 a year. So $672 was like a month's pay. I didn't know where we were going to get it from. I remember feeling discouraged. I remember feeling 
concerned. I'm a new husband, about to be a new dad. And I was trying to throw all that weight on my own shoulders. And I remember I was driving across O'Neill Bridge in Florence, Alabama. And all at once, this verse of scripture that I've learned years ago, we sing it here at Hope out of Psalm 23. I heard these words in my soul. I heard the Holy Spirit of God say, the Lord is my shepherd. What does it say? I shall not want. And I'm telling you, on that bridge, the peace of God just flooded. I didn't know how. I didn't know when. I just knew the brook had dried up, but we were doing exactly what God told us to do, exactly where God told us to be. And I knew that around the corner, God was going to prove his faithfulness. Went home, went to the mailbox, got the mail out. Unbeknownst to me, I had a tax return check in the mail. Guess how much? $675. Get this. $3 more than the bill, which meant we got to go to McDonald's and celebrate, right? (laughs) What's the point? The point is sometimes you're in a situation totally beyond your control, but you can trust that God is a faithful provider. So here's my question. Are you stressed out about your financial situation due to circumstances that are beyond your control? If so, trust your father. Trust him. Here's the good news. No matter why you're stressed about money, there's hope for you today in Jesus. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And I want to read a few verses here. And as I read these, I want you to hear this is Jesus himself talking about money. He says, Therefore, now we're not going to go above, but if you've just been reading above these verses, Jesus has just talked about money and he's talked about not laying up, you're not, not building your treasure here on, he- on earth, but laying it up in heaven. And he gets to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be what? Say it out loud. Anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't stress out about what? Your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body, what will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to this. Are you not of more value than they? Here's what Jesus is saying. Do you ever see the birds out there stressed out about where their next meal is coming from? You ever see animals out in a panic over what they're going to do? No, God provides. And here's what he says. You are the crown of God's creation. You are those that are made in the image of God. And he says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Here's what he's saying. How's How's that stressing out working out for you? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toll nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, he says it again, do not be anxious. 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. I love that line. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? All the provisions, all the things that we need for life to be possible. Verse 34, he says it a third time. And all three times, it's in the imperative tense. It means it's a, it's a command. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I hope those words encourage you. It's Jesus' words to us. I want to give you a statement that really summarizes that entire section of Scripture we just read. I'm put it up here on the screen. Here's the life application. Here's what Jesus said. When I honor God with my resources, I can trust him to satisfy all of my needs. Jesus said, you seek first my kingdom. You live according to my righteousness, my divine standard. And here's what he said, I will take care of everything else. It's not a suggestion, it's a promise. It's not aspirational, it's real. So let me, in closing, ask two important questions. Number one, what does it mean to honor God with my resources? What does it mean? That statement said, when I honor God with my resources, I can trust him. So I need to ask the question, what does it mean to honor God with my resources? How do I live according to God's divine design? Well, you'll never hit a target you're not aiming at. So I'm about to give you three phrases that I believe summarize everything the Bible teaches us about how we are to establish a target to honor God with our resources. Now, what I'm about to give you is the simplest form. As you work through this and as you grow as a Christian, you can add some layers and complexity to this. But in its simplest form, there are three phrases that the Bible uses to, or that are, that are rooted and grounded in Scripture that will give us wisdom about how to honor God with our finances. Here's the first one. Give to the Lord. That's the first thing. What Jesus say? Seek my kingdom first. As followers of Jesus, now I know what you're thinking. Pastor, wait a minute. I'm stressed out about money. I'm worried about my money. I'm worried about my resources. I'm worried about how I'm going to take care of myself. And you're telling me the first thing I need to do is not take care of myself but give to the Lord. I know it doesn't make sense in our economy, but it makes perfect sense in God's economy. He says, first, give to the Lord. When it comes to managing our money, Jesus is very clear. Our Father knows we have needs, but we're to seek first his kingdom. It's not unique to the language of Jesus. Proverbs says the same thing. Proverbs in chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The word produce means income, that which is generated as revenue. First fruits means the best, the choicest part. God says in his word, out of every source of income, first, I am to set something aside to give to the Lord. It begs the question, how much do I give? And that's where you got to get along with the Lord personally and determine yourself where you start. The scripture teaches us always we're to give a portion. Sometimes we're to give a sacrifice. You have to determine what that portion is. 
Nobody else can do that for you. We can all have personal convictions. My personal conviction, and let me qualify that again with that statement. Hear me carefully. My personal conviction, you have to determine your own. My personal conviction for my family is the starting place is 10%. The starting place is 10%. To give 10% of every source of income back to the Lord as an investment in his work. And then as God leads me over and above that to give as a sacrifice. And you, you got to find that. You may not be able to start at 10%. You may start somewhere. you got to decide what's right for you. But before the Lord, here's what I'm telling you. There's no place in Scripture for not giving first to the Lord, period. That has to be first in our lives. What we want to do is take care of all of our stuff, see how much we have left over, and then give God a tip out of that. That's not the way out of the financial chaos in my life. If I'm going to get there, i got to first give to the Lord. Secondly, not only do I give to the Lord, but then secondly, I save for the future. Save for the future. Proverbs 21 says it this way. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The Bible says to not prioritize saving for the future is to live foolishly. Wisdom demands that we save. Living within your means doesn't simply mean don't spend more than you earn. From a biblical perspective, it means to save for the future. You say, where do you start? Again, you got to develop your personal conviction. My personal conviction for my family is, again, another 10%. It's what we practice in our household. With every stream of income, every source of revenue, the first 10%, that's where we started years ago. And as we've grown in Christ, we now give well beyond that as a regular pattern in our life, but it's where we started. And then to set aside another 10%, and saving for the future. Let me show you a stat. 65% of Americans save little or nothing and half could end up struggling in retirement. 65% of Americans save nothing. They live spending everything that they earn. And the Bible says it's an unwise way to live. So give to the Lord, save for the future. Here's the third one, and nobody's going to like this phrase. Budget to live. Ugh. Budget. Let me show it to you in Proverbs. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The word plan here is a word in Hebrew that means intention or purpose. The word abundance means to be in a favorable position. Here's what Proverbs says. Wisdom demands that I manage my money with an intentional purpose and promises when I do that I'll be in a favorable financial position. I'm to manage the resources. A budget is simply a financial plan whereby I am managing what I am spending. The word hasty here in the book of Proverbs is a word that's, that in Hebrew means urgent or spur of the moment. And what he's saying here is when you and I live spur of the moment, just spending with no plan, no intent, no purpose, we wind up, the Bible says, in poverty. Here's another stat. 55% of Americans do not use a budget to manage their hard-earned income. 56% say they have no idea how much they spent last month. No wonder we're stressed out about money. So there are the three phrases. Give to the Lord, save for the future, budget to live. Let me give you a picture to help you drive this home. Here's the picture. It's a target. And again, I said in a moment ago, you're never going to hit a target you're not aiming at. What's the target? Give to the Lord, save for the future, budget to live. 10, 10, 80. 10%, 10%, 80%. 
You say, I don't know. I don't know if I can. Listen, I'm telling you, if you will bring yourself, and it may have to be gradual for you to get here, but I'm telling you, if you'll begin to apply these principles and live this out, you will be shocked at the freedom and the peace of God that you'll begin to experience in the arena of personal finances. I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you to take this target and evaluate your life. I want you to lay this biblical paradigm over your personal finances. Let the mirror of the word of God look at how you're stewarding. You do understand, we read it a moment ago, everything you and I have been entrusted to us by God. He's given it to us, which means we are accountable to him with what we do with it. And 60% of Americans have no idea how much they spent last month. That is not being accountable nor a good steward before the Lord with what he's entrusted to us. We need to have a plan. Lay this down over your life and let the Holy Spirit of God help you build a plan. If you're saying, man, pastor, I hear you, but my finances are in such a wreck, I need more help. If you go to our app, on our app, we have a link there for financial tools. And there's a ton of tools and resources where we want to walk with you and helping you experience the peace of God in this area of your life. So what does it mean to honor God with my finances? This target right here, give to the Lord, save for the future, budget to live. Here's the last question, I'm done. How do I know that I can trust him to satisfy my needs? I said a moment ago, when we honor God with our finances, when we do that, we can know that he will take care of us. He will satisfy our needs. How do I know that? Go back to Matthew chapter 6. You know that because of his relationship to you? Twice Jesus said, your heavenly father. We're talking about God who is your father. How many moms and dads in the room here tonight? Let me see your hand. Moms and dads. A lot of moms and dads. How many of you are considering not meeting the needs of your children this week? (laughs) Some of you may be thinking about it, right? But (laughs) not going to really admit it. No. No. It just goes with the job, right? If you and I in our fallenness will move heaven and earth to make sure we meet the needs of our kids, how much more our Father in heaven. Listen to me. You are a loved, accepted child of the Father. You don't have to earn that position today. The uncertainty is not in if he will, it's in how he will. If you honor him, he will meet your needs. You can be sure because of his sovereignty over you. Do you hear it? Your heavenly father. That word heavenly speaks to the the bigness of God, the, 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 the magnitude of God. There's no need that's too big for God. You can know because of his sufficiency or adequacy or abundance. I couldn't decide which words. I just gave you all three of them. His sufficiency, his adequacy, his abundance for you. He is enough. Jesus said, your father will take care of you. You can know because of his intimate knowledge of you. Verse 32, he said, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Listen, that's a word the way it describes. He doesn't know because you told him. He knows because he's God. He knows before you tell him. You can also know because of his value of you. Did you hear it? Are you not more valuable than they? For all those reasons. And many more in scripture. You can know that if you honor God with your finances, he will take care 
of you. Here's the ultimate proof. The greatest need any of us ever had was somebody to take care of our sin. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, he took care of our greatest need. He will surely take care of the small financial challenges and difficulties in our life. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that God loves you and he loves you so much that your greatest need, your sin that separated you from him, he took care of that. He died on a cross for your sin, rose again from the dead so that you could know him. Look into the mirror. Why are you stressed out about money? Lack of contentment? Love of money? You ignoring God's divine design? Or maybe you just didn't know about it, but now you've heard. What is it? Give to the Lord? Save for the future? Budget to live? And then you trust Him. And here's what that means. Now, does that mean, Pastor, there's never going to be a moment when I don't have a financial need? No, but here's what it means. Now I can lay it at His feet and say, Lord, that's your problem, not mine. Because here's what you said. You said you'd take care of that. And I trust that you will. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you'd take your word. I pray you'd speak. God, I pray that the practical nature of these truths would be driven home in our hearts and lives tonight. As you sit there quietly before the Lord, in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship. We have pastors that are going to be joining me here at the front right now. And this altar is going to be open. Maybe God's convicted you about some stuff in your heart as it pertains to your personal finances. Maybe it has to do with a lack of contentment, a love of money, or ignoring or rebelling against God's divine design. This altar is going to be open. You can turn your seat into an altar. Listen, turn to Him. It will not get better if you just continue to do it your way. His way is better. Maybe you're in one of those circumstances where you're honestly living before the Lord in a way where you can say, man, I'm honoring God. I don't love money. I don't have a lack of contentment. And I'm just in a circumstance that's beyond my control. And you want to come and pray with one of our pastors. And we'll just pray over you tonight and ask God's faithful provision. Listen, it's not if, it's just when and how. He's going to provide. If the brook has dried up, there is an answer from God on the way. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you can come to one of our pastors and just say, hey, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God today. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your word speaks right where we're living in 2022. God, bring conviction, bring encouragement. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.